0: Hey, yo, it's Maliga again. Bumping into you very often, huh?
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Hi, hi, Beta. How are you?
0: Hi, uncle. Hi, auntie. On the way to record your podcast?
1: I said a correct
0: no. Oh,
1: what what podcast?
0: Again, you're forgetting? Remember, she's telling us about her fashion brand council plans. You know, she's making clothes out of garbage. Sorry, industrial waste. Anyway, now she is talking to some diverse and creative people about their own council plans in life. Hmm. Wow, uh, that's quite right, actually, Auntie. You know, Uncle, many of us have unexpected twists and turns in our lives, and through my show, I want to look at these plans we make and the plans that we break and how we persevere through it all. Ah, correct.
1: Well done. Ah, quite interesting, I say. So, uh, who are you talking to on the podcast today?
0: On this episode of the Cancel Plans podcast, I get into conversation with actor, model, writer, and now entrepreneur Lisa Ray. She talks about how she became a model in Bombay, all the hats she's worn in her career, and how going public with her cancer diagnosis liberated her. She also shares with us about her exciting new curator led digital arts platform, The Upside Space.
1: Kaiga, Lisa, laga, Huh? Did you recognize me? This is Uncle K. You know, I also had been unwell for some time few years back. That is why I took early retirement. Why don't you also do that? What's the need to do all these things? I heard you doing this NF thing or something. What is this? What is this? NFT? Meaning no family time. (laughs) Just just joking. Anyway, I don't understand why you need to work so hard. Slow down, Baba. Leave all this nonsense. Uh, Why don't you invest in uh, FFT? Full family time. (laughs) Ah, Uncle, I so
2: appreciate your perspective. But Uncle, you know, I feel that I still want to do good in the world. And I also feel since you have taken early retirement and you have a nice bunch of cash that you're sitting on, you can also do good in the world. So why don't you support me so that maybe I can take early retirement? Would you like to buy a few NFTs off my platform? And there you are supporting artists and you are part of a new art ecosystem. You are then the owner of an incredible new asset class that can probably go up in value as well. And you can pass on to your grandkids, not the good for nothing ones, just, you know, the ones that you love or the ones that you emotionally blackmail. But think about it, Uncle, you don't even have to leave your living room. So come on, Uncle, you can help me achieve early retirement by buying some incredible art NFTs on the upside space.
0: (laughs) I think Uncle may need some help opening the internet browser first, but I'm sure he'll make his way up to the NFTs. In the meantime, why don't you and I settle in and get talking? Hi, how's it going? What's been happening? Are you mostly in Dubai? Have you been back in Bombay at all? So, yeah, it's actually marks almost
2: a year or just over a year since we moved to Dubai. Oh, wow. Myself and the whole family, of course, I don't leave yeah. them behind. I try to take them with me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's it's been a really, really interesting year for me. We have a lot to talk about.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Including your eye and your aesthetics and your sense of space, I think is another place where we really intersect.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. To give a little context to our listeners, I leased Lisa's apartment from her in Bombay when I lived there and it had the most beautiful aesthetic and tranquil vibe. Your home was just, I think I felt so at home there. It was almost like it called to me. And I think at that time in my life, the way that it aligned for me that home, it just I think was magical. So I have to thank you for that. (laughs) So in the in the little time that we spent together, I found that there were two qualities of yours that you know, really came leaping at me. One was your resilience. And the other was your kindness. And In my experience, these two traits are often, you know, built over the course of many cancelled plans when life throws us some harsh curveballs to make us stronger and come into our most authentic power. And while I was doing some research, I read a quote from you, which said, I have come to recognize that every major turning point in my life is preceded by pain. And I was like, wow, that's really intense. So I want to hear about some of your most pivotal cancel plans in your life that have made you the person that you are today. Where do I start? First of all,
2: I mean, I love the title of your podcast, Cancel Plans, because it can be taken so many different ways. But in my life... My entire life is built on cancelled (laughs) plans. That's why you're the perfect fit for us. (laughs) Honestly, even now as I'm sitting here and reflecting, what hasn't been the direct result of, you know, a cancelled plan or, you know, a swerve right when you're supposed to swerve left or, you know, sometimes I call it serendipity because I like words and long words and, you know, words that sound like that. And serendipity is also a very useful word. Because I love the origins of it, you know. It's come from Serendib, the island of Lanka, and it was actually coined by Arab traders, I believe. Oh, wow. That's right, who chanced upon this beautiful island, and it came to mean finding good fortune when you don't expect it. So it's a different version of cancelled plans. I love that. Yeah, which is yeah. why I'm very fond of it. And actually, I think that, the, again, the two terms or the two concepts are aligned canceled plans and serendipity. Mm. But everything in my life, I mean, landing up in India at 16, my career is the result of a canceled plan. Because my actual plan from a young age was to become either a journalist or a lawyer or an academic, you know, someone who would not have a lot of human contact because (laughs) I was very shy, very introverted. I'm still introverted, believe it or not. Yeah, so how the hell did I end up in this crazy business in Mumbai in 1991 before it was really like a sexy thing to do? Well, you know, essentially, I came on a vacation with my parents. I was very young. I negotiated this vacation with them because we used to come to Calcutta, where my father's family is from pretty much once every two years. And we would pass through Mumbai and there was something in the city that attracted me. It's very incomprehensible and I'm not the only person to say that. It wasn't logical, but there was a draw. So I negotiated a gap year. I graduated a year early from high school. Mm -hmm. And uh, really all I wanted to do, my ambition in life was twofold, to travel relentlessly and also to gather as many experiences within my lifetime to open my arms wide and just surrender to whatever the universe had to throw my way. That was it. That was my ambition for life. I was not hung up on a particular career as it were on buying a house, getting a mortgage. None of that ever attracted me. It was really about being in tune with life and seeing what, what life had to offer So having said that, we landed up in Mumbai. So we landed up when I was 16. And essentially what came to pass is somebody spotted me at a party and said, listen, Maureen really likes your type. And I was very defiant. What do you mean type? (laughs) What type am I? Because up until that moment, to be honest, I hadn't clearly fit into any category. Being of mixed origin, being half Bengali and half Polish, neither completely belonging to Canada nor India. I didn't think I had a type, so I was rather intrigued as well. What is my type? So this guy said, oh, you know, half, like a half-breed. So next thing I knew is that somebody had set up a meeting with Maureen Wadia, and I went out of curiosity more than anything else. Uh, Maureen Wadia, of course, is married into the Wadia family that owns Bombay Dying and many, many other companies it's this is huge established conglomerate anyways so i ended up purely out of curiosity at the gate to their villa and i still remember walking like getting out of the taxi because i was so green in bombay i didn't know that you know i should take the taxi inside through the gate up through the winding road and you know be deposited in front of the house so i started walking instead <laughs> and i still remember Turning a bend, it was rather a long walk, and that should tell you something about the Wadia's fortunes in Bombay to have an actual villa on the ocean. I knew that they were actually very wealthy, but I ended up turning around the corner and I saw Maureen standing very glamorously waving at me from sort of the porch between two pillars. And then there was a pack of dogs that spotted me and started running up to me including a Rottweiler, oh, wow. every manageable large dog breed, you know, German Shepherds and Rottweilers and things like that. I still wasn't really alarmed. And I had this big grin on my face and I'm ambling up towards the house and waving and the dogs surrounded me. And I actually bent over to pet one of the dogs. And I believe a Rottweiler just like literally jumped up and bit me in the bum. Oh my God. Nice little bite. And actually it was a love bite. He could have done more damage. <laughs> but I shrieked and all hell broke loose. And I was escorted into the house and medical kits were called upon and my bum was inspected. And it was like a very unorthodox meeting, you might say. Yeah, I would
0: definitely say that.
2: So, you know, again, you know, this is another kind of a cancelled plan. You know, we expected it to be like this interesting sedate meeting over tea, talking about God knows what fashion and photography. And then there I was. With my pants around my ankles, with this dog <laughs> bite. So anyways, fortunately, it wasn't bad. We put some Dettol on it, and then I was sent on my way. We didn't really discuss anything. And I thought, okay, well, that's that. That was interesting. This will make a good anecdote one day. But in the meantime, and I actually went off, I remember to go out with my parents. And in the meantime, Maureen actually started trying to track me down and get in touch with me. Because she wanted me to model for a magazine. I guess she hmm, had some sort of instinct. And I said, yeah, sure. I'd never done anything like this before in my life. And then I found myself in Ashok Salian's studio in Devi, being with a lot of makeup. A lot of makeup was slapped in my face. <laughs> someone dressed me. Someone else put me on heels. I could barely stand in heels. And then I was told where to stand and to start moving and facing the camera. Something then... Happened. There was a strange alchemy that I hadn't anticipated, as I said, as an introverted young girl who hadn't really been exposed to a lot. And I think that maybe this gave me the opportunity to channel something else, to become someone else, to put on a mask, to perform. And I did end up enjoying that experience very much. And then that led to modeling a lot more for Maureen while I was there on vacation. Culminating with doing some photographs for Bombay Dying, which, you know, in the early 90s was a big deal in India. And, you know, the plan was always to go back to Canada and continue on my trajectory of going to university and becoming an academic or a journalist or a writer. And I did that left went back to canada and another turn of the wheel of fate happened because just before beginning university my family and i were involved in a very serious car accident and as a direct result of that i couldn't begin university and my mom was very badly hurt and my entire life was turned upside down oh god and then maureen ended up hearing about it flew down to canada When my mom was finally out of danger and on her way to rehabilitating and she was actually paralyzed as a result of this accident. But when she was at least out of danger, Maureen convinced my parents to send me back to Bombay with her and she would be my my guardian. And that is literally how my career started in India. And that is why I would always tell people, listen, You don't want to take my path. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and for a long time, I would still literally feel that this was a temporary detour and that eventually I would go back and earn my PhD as I'd been taught to do and as my father had done. But my life obviously went off in a very different direction. So that's one big example of how canceled plans played a very pivotal role in my own personal narrative.
0: I think, honestly, I do see probably a PhD in your future. I think you might just do it. (laughs) (laughs) And so you call yourself an accidental actress. You then went on to author a book. And now you have a tech startup, which is in art and NFT space called the Upside Space. And as you've said today as well, that serendipity has played a big role in some of your career choices. So what kind of led you to doing these things in your career? That's a
2: great question, Malika. Like I, over the course of, I mean, if we're discussing my career in the entertainment arts in India, I realized that, yes, it was very convenient to hide behind these masks, whether it was in the entertainment arts or, you know, I left India and ended up, again, exposing myself to a lot of different experiences by living in London, Paris, Milano, New York, L.A., Always trying on and discarding different kind of personas. Well, behind that, my inner life was so often, as I said, radically different from what my outer life was. And that was ended up being a real struggle for me. I never felt at peace or whole. And I guess it's, you know, the typical journey towards authenticity and being able to align all the different sides of yourself, or at least being able to drop all the different stories that you tell about Mm -hmm. yourself. So, you know, from so-called actress model, I mean, I was always very passionate about writing in the arts and I planted the seeds of what I wanted to do when I was much younger. I even actually ended up curating an art exhibit in the nineties with a friend called Nisha Jamwal in Bombay at one point, you know, we had a lot of fun with that, but the end result of wearing all of these masks was, I got very weary and it was Really, after I was diagnosed with cancer, when I took the decision to announce my cancer publicly from the red carpet of the Toronto International Film Festival, and I was bloated on steroids, I was 40 pounds over and above my normal weight, I had changed physically. When I actually ended up subverting that moment, that very glamorous moment of standing on the red carpet and using that moment to talk about something that was very important to me rather than sell another product or a film or a project, Mm -hmm. that I suddenly actually had a breakthrough where all of the masks, the entire baggage of stories just all fell away. And I was so light. And I was able to actually face everyone in the sort of naked vulnerability that I actually realized was, is overall our strength. It's very terrifying to shed ourselves. And as I said, to literally stand almost metaphorically naked in front of a crowd of people and say, this is who I am and I'm not going to hide anymore. But it was the single most liberating thing I had ever done before in my life. And it's ironic, of course, that another sort of cancel plan, as it were, you know, which is dealing with any major disease, especially one like cancer, which ends up canceling a lot of plans that we've ever had in our life. It's ironic that that was the impetus to stepping fully into myself and my own power. So it's amazing how some cancel plans that appear from the outside to be experiences that are full of pain and sorrow and difficulty can actually lead to incredible breakthroughs in our life. And that, that at least has been my experience.
0: That's beautiful. And I think that's also kind of, you know, what we want to stand for as a company and organization that, you know, something beautiful can come out of these cancel plans. So when you got diagnosed with cancer, you were really busy. You were working across genres. You were across the world. And then when you had this moment where you decided to reveal this and own your power and claim that space... I am very sure that in our country, in India, where watching a beautiful woman go bald is not something that's easy to digest for a lot of people. So you're here, you're having these personal fears, you're physically in not the best of health. Like you said, you were bloated on steroids and you also have this very public image of people looking at you and probably are uncomfortable or a little bit disturbed What was going on in your head? Like something like this would probably make me a very angry person. But I don't sense that. I sense that you handle this with a lot of dignity and grace. And like you said, you felt free from it. You felt liberated by feeling this kind of nakedness. How do you kind of garner that attitude when you're feeling like you're being challenged and tested?
2: See, I wish that I would be able to, let's say position this experience as a universal experience, you know, that would benefit everyone. But I don't think that that's the case. And I feel we have to be very cautious about that because all of us have such an individual journey and highly personalized ways of dealing with difficult circumstances. It just so happened that the cancer for me became a breakthrough because I had been carrying such a burden. It was a way of cracking through a persona that I had felt trapped by for so many years. Unfortunately, I myself couldn't find another way out of it, even though I was trying to find a way out of it. And for many years, I led a double life, you know? Mm -hmm. I was always pursuing art. I was writing. I was going on long spiritual retreats. But that never really crossed over into my public persona or my professional life. They were kept very separate. And it was because I felt that I was... Just like I said, so fractured inside that something as serious as dealing with my mortality Mm. ended up enabling me to be able to throw away all of the insecurities, all of the fears of hanging on to this public persona that I had done for so long that even though I knew it wasn't serving me, because there's really nothing like dealing with your death to kind of help you, you know, just cut through all the BS of your life, right? So that's why it worked to my advantage, but I'm not saying that it would work to everyone's advantage. I think in my particular personal history, it did. But I also did realize two things. Number one, if you don't ask for help, you're not going to get it. Mm -hmm. This was almost a public cry for help because up until then, I was someone who was extremely independent to a fault. I never leaned on anyone. I never trusted anyone to be there for me. And I hadn't even created a community around me of people that I could really lean on. And in a weird way, this also broke that pattern in myself where by announcing my diagnosis publicly, yes, I'm glad that, you know, other people could find a sense of support from what I was doing or a sense of relief in in saying, okay, she's going through this as well. But I, on the other hand, very selfishly got so much support from a huge variety of people around the world. And I truly believe that that's one of the reasons why I'm here today. It's due to their support and blessings and also being able to, again, break that pattern in myself and open myself up
0: to support from other people that's amazing and while your body was healing and your mind was healing you actively sought out more of a holistic approach to both health and wellness and yoga being an important part of your routine i'm seeing that post the pandemic especially the need for self-care has presented itself like never before Mm. what has been kind of your journey with self-care spirituality and taking care of yourself in a more holistic way
2: That is almost a book in itself. (laughs) You know, like everyone in my 20s, I neglected myself to the point where, you know, it was taking a toll on my health. And, yeah, I simply always overrode my body signals. And, you know, it's unfortunate because society almost rewards you for it. Mm. Look at her. She's so tough. Oh, look at her. She can work for 14 hours a day for seven days, because that was what I was doing. And it was a way of numbing because I hadn't dealt with a lot of the emotional trauma first from the accident that I spoke about. Right. Because I had just plunged into my career and distracted myself. And that's what we do. That's a human condition. We push away pain, right? And we run towards either numbing yourself or pleasure. So. I truly believe because I hadn't actually dealt with a lot of the emotional fallout from not just that, but a lot of the emotional fallout that followed me after the accident that I didn't address. I truly believe that's one of the reasons why I ended up being diagnosed with cancer. You know, for me, metaphorically, I mean, of course, there is a physical component of the disease. And I do advocate taking care of that physically, taking whatever medication you need to. Uh But my healing had to be very holistic. And you know what? It continues. It never ends. I really focused on it to the exclusion of everything else after cancer. And I felt that that was really important for me.
0: I'm going to move on a little bit and talk about your new startup that you've been working on and... One of my uh, favorite and very abundantly used quotes is art is meant to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. So your interest in art, and you've spoken about it a bit as well, really pops. And now you're in, you've leapt into the world of NFTs. So kind of tell us about how this new plan for the upside space came along.
2: Well, you know, it is a kind of a canceled plan. I had decided I was going to have like a very chill, relaxed life. (laughs) And now that is not the case. (laughs) You know, having obviously been working since I was 16, I was like, okay, now I can like, you know, just hang out and do a lot of yoga and (laughs) write my next book. Well, I am actually thrilled with this particular detour that my life has taken, because as I mentioned at the beginning of our chat, I feel like the seeds for my passion for art or supporting art was planted very early on and I've been collecting art for a long time. I mean, I don't consider myself a big time collector or anything, but I love supporting artists and I love the artistic expression from India. I love what contemporary artists are doing and remember I've seen the growth in the art world in India from the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And my latest passion over the last decade or so has been really acquainting myself with up and coming artists and going around supporting them, watching like it gives me a great thrill to watch their careers also rise. So somewhere two or three things have always been in the back of my mind that I want to support the arts in a very comprehensive way. And secondly, I want to spotlight the artistic traditions from these regions where we are from, which is so rich, so diverse for a global audience. I don't think that we have a seat in the global art conversation yet, Mm -hmm. but we should. And nobody else is going to do it for us. Let's put it that way. So I actually met my co-founder, Aisha Khan, in Singapore during COVID, at the height of COVID. My family and I were living there briefly. And we had a conversation and we connected over our passion for art and then cut to The end of 2021, which is when we were moving to Dubai, myself and my family. Mm -hmm. And Aisha got in touch again and said, listen, remember, we were talking about the arts and we were talking about some of the problems and how do we reach, how do we support up and coming artists from these regions? How do we create accessibility for collectors, say from... London or New York, who want to collect, you know, art from Indonesia. And she said, have you heard about NFTs? And I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard of them. To be honest, you know, that was the height of the frenzy around NFTs. So Mm -hmm. I was also a little wary. And she said, let's talk about it. But when I actually took the time to research and I understood the full potential of the technology and also understood that at its core, technology is neutral. It's about what you want to do with the technology? And how can it enable you to fulfill a mission? I started getting very, very excited. So we started putting together The Upside Space and we conceptualized it as a curator led platform because we wanted to be super accessible to everyone. We wanted to be a site of discovery. And having a curator... From any of these regions, as I said, we cover Southeast Asia. So we have curators from Bali and Indonesia and Singapore and, you know, hopefully many other regions. We have curators from, of course, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Bhutan, which is really interesting. And then we have curators from the Middle East right now from the UAE. So the curator becomes your art buddy. The curator sets the theme, chooses the artists. We are very particular about artists with strong art practices. They can be digital natives or they maybe they have zero experience with NFTs. And we as a platform care about everyone in our ecosystem. And we feel that shouldn't be an obstacle. There's too many obstacles for artists in terms of getting their voices and their work seen. Yeah. We as a platform will collaborate with an artist and help them turn, say, their physical pieces of work, say a oil on canvas into an NFT and even help with digital interventions. So that's our mission. We just went live in December and it's been wild. Whether we like it or not, this is the next evolution in art. And I think as we get more and more ways of displaying and sharing digital art, it's going to be as pervasive as the way that we store our personal photographs. You know, when people first started me, oh, NFTs, I don't understand. Yeah. Okay. Let's do a little exercise. Can you share with me where do you keep your personal photos? And people say, well, yeah, on my phone, or oh, yeah, on the cloud. And I say, well, that wasn't the case 10 years ago. And then people sort of like, it dawns on them. Yes. You know, I like saying that I'm a tech optimist and tech is inevitable. So rather than be swept away by the tech, why don't we harness the tech to actually address problems and systems, say in the traditional art system, and actually be able to co create. A better art ecosystem. That's another part of our mission and mandate. I mean, at the very least, before dismissing something, you have to understand it. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, we tend to go on headlines and sensational headlines and the media obviously thrives on that. And rather than diving a bit deeper to at least question and get like a more holistic point of view of disruptive technology that is, like I said, whether we like it or not, is going to be part of our life. People tend to, you know, sometimes go into fear, and you know, I'm not blaming anyone, but I would still encourage people just educate yourself. Like uh, also, people when they're discussing digital art, they're like, "Oh, this means you're overshadowing or the end of physical art," and I say, not at all. No, <laughs> yeah, it not doesn't at all. mean that. Why would you even think that? I think that the, the two coexist beautifully, and. Digital art presents a new medium.
0: Right. The world we live in now, I think, has so much fear. There's so much anxiety. What advice do you have for someone who's young, who's somewhat unprepared for the uncertainty of this world? Maybe like your daughters, what would you tell them? It is unfortunate that overall, the culture
2: is kind of a fear-based culture or a Mm fear-driven culture. But you know what? I mean, life is so glorious go outside, you know, close your eyes and turn them to the sunlight, find a peaceful spot in nature, and you will understand, you know, the truth of our existence, which is that we are all interconnected and that life is for you, not against you. And in order to do that, sometimes you might have to disconnect, disconnect from social media, disconnect from headlines and news media kind of uh, industrial complex. It's really essential that you go back to what is true, what is universal, what nurtures your soul. And don't feel guilty about that. And you know, what's great about the next generation is that you have a lot of access to information and knowledge. You've seen what's come before. You actually have an opportunity to design your life exactly how you want. You don't have to become a cog in the wheel and just follow all the
0: prevailing concepts of how you're supposed to lead your life. So I think there's a great opportunity here. That's beautiful. I love that. Thank you so much, Lisa, for taking the time out and speaking to me. I love how you've built the bridge between surrender pity and cancel plans. Check out the episode description to see where you can follow Lisa and her work. Oh, and don't forget to check out cancel plans at www.cancelplans.com. Follow us on Instagram at cancelplans.club and come say hi to me on my personal Instagram, which is at Malika Reddy G. See you next week. Yo, tell them to follow me also. Even I have opened one Instagram account. Oh, really, auntie? Sure, of course. What's your Instagram handle? Handle? What's handle? I don't have any handle and all that. What is this? (laughs) Okay, no problem. You can tell them next time, okay?